0: morning everyone Um, welcome to worshiping with us today and uh, just a few announcements before we listen from the word of God Um, last week we concluded our uh, annual missions conference and we cast a vision to want to raise 120,000 dollars and we thank God for your obedience and your um, responding to God and so far as of today we have collected uh Eight, well, not collect, we have collected pledges for $84,870. These are pledges that you have made. Uh, many of you have made uh, over about 35 unit of either family or individuals have made a pledge. Uh, to support the missions that uh, God had placed on our church to partner with, uh, either individuals or groups. And again, our goal is $120,000. So, if you have not uh, made a pledge, if you have not turned in the the, uh, the the online form or physical form, we encourage you continue to pray and wait till uh, and uh, you have up till the end of October uh, to make a commitment. Uh, first to God, really, uh, beyond just really giving to, through our church, but really to God as a way of responding to the call of mission. So on the screen, you see this link here. You can go visit a link tree, uh, slash fcbc.sgv, or you can scan that code. It will take you directly uh, to the pledge form. And on it, I want to remind you, it's not just about giving money, because on there, there's a commitment to pray. There's a commitment to go. There's a commitment to give. And I encourage uh, our junior hires last Sunday to um, commit yourself to God in all three of these ways. How does God want you to go? How does God want you to give? How does God want you to pray? So again, the link is here. Scan that or you can go to Linktree where you can, it's a one-stop shop for all the links that you'll need for any ministry that we have in our, in our English congregation. Go there, look, check out the platform and commit to the Lord what, how you will obey Him. The next announcement we have is if you're giving to our church this regular offering, uh, please write a check out to FCBC SGV and you can mail the check out to our church address, drop it off physically, or you can give online through Zell and make sure the recipient is to SGVFC1 at gmail.com. Next announcement is a baptism is coming up, membership transfer. So far we're three, really excited and thankful to God that we're three people who are committing to get baptized. And perhaps you're still thinking about it or you're thinking about uh, transferring your membership to be a part of this local body of believers. Contact me. Uh, I'll give you the information and also the application as well. Uh, we're continuing to pray for our upcoming election, uh, 31 days. We are 20 days in. We're a little short than two, shorter uh, than two weeks uh, to continue to pray. So join us every, every night at 9 p.m. Uh, on Instagram live and continue to pray for our country and continue to pray that God will carry out His will through the upcoming election. Uh, Last but not least, our bi-weekly, bi-monthly. I actually don't know what the difference between bi-weekly, bi-monthly. But every other week, we pray together uh, as a a congregation. We pray for one another. We pray for our community. And we pray for the world. So I want to encourage you to be part of our church and participate that way and pray together. Zoom is also on the link tree uh, link there. You can find the Zoom link on that page. Uh, to, uh, as you have been following us, we are challenging everyone uh, to memorize John fifteen verse one to eleven. This coming week will be John fifteen eight, but we're going to take a chance uh, to recite it together. to Give our best uh, effort to recite John fifteen one through seven, then we'll read John fifteen eight together. So if you can uh, do your best and follow me, or uh, if I mess up, you go on. Uh, we're going to recite John fifteen verse one to seven. I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it abides to the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and, abides in me and I in him, he, he it is that bear much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is taken away as branch and withered. The branches, uh, the branches are gathered together, thrown in the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This week we'll be reciting John 15:8, and here's what it says. Let's read it together. And I encourage you to do it at home. Read it out loud together. John 15, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Today's scripture reading, we're jumping into the word of God. Today's scripture reading is from John 15, verse 12 to 17. Here's what it says. And that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Before Missions Month, we launched a series called Abide in Christ. And uh, we're focusing on John chapter 15, really the entire chapter. That's the theme of this year, uh, Bearing Much Fruit. And we're, abide, we're talking about how do we abide in Christ, how do we trust in the Father, and also bear much fruit. And until, uh, from now till the end of December, we'll continue to mind the truth in John chapter 15. Uh, but we'll do it a little differently. I will not be preaching expository. Uh, well, we'll be picking up different themes uh, that is from this uh, chapter. Particularly, we'll be, the next seven weeks, we'll be talking about the DNA of a disciple. As Jesus was teaching this last teaching to his disciples, he was speaking to a particular group of people who had made a change from being on their own, now becoming disciples of Christ. And we want to take a look at this passage and pick out some of the distinctives that uh, make someone a disciple. We're going to go through these seven uh, distinctives, seven DNAs, and we're going to do so in a way that is um, marked by a journey. So every one of these distinctives will be uh, painted in a picture of a journey from one extreme to another, but not also in a journey, but also will encapsulate that with a, a verb an action of how do we move from one extreme, the ways of the world to really becoming disciples of Christ. And hopefully every single week, we'll give you a mantra that you can remember so that you can continually check your heart and check your life to see, am I making that journey to live as disciples of Christ or to be a disciples of Christ in your life? And so that's what we're going to do starting today. Uh, our first journey is talking about moving from being an earner to being an heir of Christ, uh, heir of God, co-heirs with Christ. But before we go do that, let's, let's pray together. Let's ask God to speak to us. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. Your word is truth. Would you sanctify us today as we hear your word? God, help us to listen with our ears. Help us to listen with our hearts. And most importantly, Lord, help us not just to hear, but help us to do and obey your word today and for the rest of this week. God, would you speak through my vocal cord? Would you give us ears to listen, to know, and to um, internalize the things you want us to know? And God, help us to commit ourselves to you in obedience, to live out every single thing that you're placing in our hearts. God, I pray that this will not be a passive listening time, but this will be an active uh, dialogue, active interaction with the Holy Spirit as we dive into the Word of God. So God, would you be magnified and glorified among us today? In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. This might be an older movie for many of you. This movie uh, was, in, uh, was first uh, debuted in 1998. Some of you who are listening have, were not even born at a time. Uh, but it was one of the greatest war movies it's called Saving Private Ryan. Uh, it won many, many awards, but unfortunately, it actually did not win the best picture that particular year in the academy, uh, which was a tragedy, I think. They should have won. Uh, but nevertheless, this movie is really in a setting of World War II. And the whole plot of the whole story of the movie is that during World War II, one particular family had four brothers. Unfortunately, three out of the four died while they were in the battle. And one of the generals in the war heard, uh, heard of that news and so he decided that it would be wrong for the mother of those four children to lose all their children. And so what happened was the general commissioned a team led by Captain John Miller to go find Private Ryan, Private James Ryan. And so they set out into the war into the uh, Pacific theater and to go find um, where Private Ryan was. But unfortunately they, this team of six could not find him for the longest time but by the, by the I would say the 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 sovereignty of God or you know they somehow was directed by one of the unit that worked with private Ryan and so eventually they actually went and and find and found private Ryan and so these team of six were in the middle of rescue him bringing him out calling him bring him home to America but along the way. One by one on this team and and, and a journey to bring Ryan, Private James Ryan out of the war. One by one, they died in the war. And the final person that died was Captain John Miller. It was one of the most moving scene in the movie when, when John Miller, Captain Miller, was lying down, was sitting down next to a tank and fighting for it with his last breath with a gun, fighting off Germans so that uh, Private Ryan can leave, can walk out, and can, can return to the base. And then the last word that uh, Cap, uh, Captain Miller said to um, Private Ryan is this. With his last breath, he told Private Ryan, Ryan earn this Ryan earn it it is as if you tell them that the loss of six lives in our platoon now gives you a new life to be home with your mother now go and make that life count earn it earn this life and at the end of the movie There was an older gentleman, it was Private Ryan, standing in the cemetery over the grave and the tombstone of Captain Miller. In that scene, Ryan was with his wife. By this time, they were both pretty old. And you can see this anguish in his heart and his life. And he asked his wife this question. Was I good enough? Did I live good enough lives? And just like any other good wife, uh, good wife, his wife said, of course you did, honey. Of course you lived a good life. But little did she know that this life that he had lived so far is given on the sacrifice of six other men in the war. And you can see just in his face this anguish that he has like, did I, am I good enough For someone to sacrifice that life, or am I good enough? Have I lived good enough to make this life worth? Have I earned this life that was given to me? I think for many of us, that is the question that we ask ourselves often. Am I good enough? That's a question that we wrestle with, that's a question that we struggle with, that's a question that we're conditioned to ask for ever since we're young till we're old, am I good enough? We ask that question, am I good enough in the playground? When all the friends are playing, am I good enough to play with these other kids? Am I good enough to be picked by these other kids to play games with them? Am I good enough to be friends with them? And then when we get a little older, when we're in school, we're asked by the same question. Am I good enough to make this class? Am I good enough to be in honors, whatever class it is? Am I good enough to be an AP? Then we get a little older. Am I good enough to get into this college? Am I good enough to get a degree? When we don't stop there, we ask ourselves in the extracurricular activities too. To, am I good enough to make the team? Am I good enough to make first chair on violin? Am I good enough when I get out to get, get a job after I graduate? Am I good enough to ask that girl out to date me? Am I good enough to get married? Is there anyone that I'm good enough for? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? That is the question we're conditioned to ask. And we wrestle with that question. And very much like Private Ryan, many times we feel like we're not. But we just fake it till we make it. We say, I, I'm going to try my best, earn my way to be good enough. And guess what? Many times we ask the exact same question when we come before God in, that re- in our relationship, we get in a spiritual journey, we always we say, God, am I good enough for you? God, am I good enough so that you can save me? And I've done enough so that I'm worthy of you. You see, we come before God with an earner's, earners mentality. But the truth of the word of God tells us, there's some bad news to that question because the reality is we are never good enough. One of the first things we see from scripture that tells us the gospel tells us that we are a lot worse off than what we think. We are way worse off than we think because in the world we can say I can earn enough so that I can get someone. So I can, I can get something, I can, get a, I can earn my way to, to a job, maybe not the job of my dream, but I can earn enough to get a job. But in our spiritual life, God tells us we can never earn enough to get God. You See, we're a lot worse. We're worse off than we think because we think we can do something that we can never do. Romans chapter 3 verse 22 to 23 says this. The Apostle Paul said this for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short the glory of God for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God the word sin we tend to think of the word sin as just actions or inaction or do something or not do something but the picture here is important because it's not just we were we're, we're of sin but the next phrase helps us to understand the picture of sin is that we have fallen short. The picture of sin and falling short is you missed the mark. I want you to imagine throwing a dart at a bullseye. You doesn't matter how hard you try, you will never hit the bullseye. No matter how much you aim, you cannot miss the bullseye. And that's what happens. We don't realize many times that we are falling short no matter what we do. Because most of us, our approach to God is one of sin management and one of behavior modification. See, when we ask that question, am I good enough? The way we answered that question is, I, I, I think I can earn my way to be good enough because I can just kind of manage my sin a little bit better. Maybe I swear less. Maybe I spend less time playing video games. Maybe I waste a little less time. I lie a little less. Maybe I'll cheat a little less, maybe I look at, I'll look at the inappropriate stuff online a little less. And so we think somehow by we can earn our way and manage our sin a little bit better. Or if we don't do that, we may be changing our behavior, modify a little bit better. Maybe I'll read the Bible a little bit more this week. Maybe I'll, I'll go to church this time, I'll go online to watch a little bit this time. I'll pay attention and do and serve at church, I'll do, cha- act more like Christian this week. Thinking that we can earn, we can make ourselves good enough for God. But here's the problem. Romans chapter 3 tells us that the problem is not that we do sin or we do things that sin or we, we can live a little better. The problem has nothing to do with ultimately just what we do or not do. The problem is we, by nature, are sinners. The ultimate sin we have against God is not that you did something or you didn't do something. The ultimate sin you have against God is not an action, but your heart of rebellion toward toward God. We can manage our sin better. We can behave a little better. But at the core of who we are, we are sinners. I mean, just to help you think of this a little better, I'll give you an illustration. Imagine me having a swimming competition against one of the best swimmers of all time, Michael Phelps. Winner of 23 gold medals. 23. Now, I wouldn't argue that he is far superior of a swimmer compared to me. But I'm no I'm no—you I'm no, know chum in swimming. I'm, I was pretty good in high school. But I know he will beat me. But what if the race is not to swim across the pool 50 meters? What if the race is to swim from Los Angeles to Hong Kong? With no stop. We start in Los Angeles, we're going to swim all the way across the Pacific Ocean to Hong Kong. Now, while Michael Phelps may do a great much faster job and get further along. I may be struggling after the first mile. Before even making it to the Catalina Island, I'll be eaten up by the shark. He might go further along, but we both know the result of this race is neither one of us will finish the race. Neither one of us, no matter how fast he might swim, how great of a swimmer he might be. There's nothing humanly possible that he can do to swim from Los Angeles all the way to Hong Kong without any help, without any rest. It is just simply physically impossible. See the same is true in what scripture is telling us in Romans 3. There is nothing humanly possible that we can do to earn our way to God. Nothing we can do to be good enough for God because God is not looking for good enough. God is looking for perfection. God is not looking for me to swim all the way to Catalina Island. God's looking for me to swim all the way to Hong Kong. But the reality is we can't do it. It's not possible. And here's what I want to talk to some of us who grew up at church. I believe many of you who are watching in our church grew up in church. And here's the most dangerous things in our churches today. Is that we've raised a generation thinking that they can't be good enough. That we have taught them, unfortunately, that if you just come to church and live the Christian life by managing your sin a little better, by living a little more Christian-like, that you can actually be good enough for God. I've been in church long enough and serve among children and youth and young adults long enough to know that this, this testimony is not an odd one because I've seen life after life people who have tried to manage their sin, Tried to modify their behavior in life and they gone through all of that for 18 years only to find out at the end when they move out of the, the house, when they get to a job, when they get married. They've given up on God. Because they either flamed out because they feel guilty, they feel shameful. Or they just simply disappointed because they, they thought that they could manage and earn their way to God. But every single time, the, the best effort that they give only to find out, sin rears its ugly head into their lives again. So they try their best. Go, I'm doing my best to manage my sin. And guess what? It opens up for a season. And then another season comes and it's like, I can't fight this sin anymore. Man, I'm going to do my best to live like Christian. I'm going to show up every single Sunday. Which, by the way, all those things are good things. The only problem with those things are not that they're not good. It's just they can't satisfy. They can't earn their way to God. And I've seen lives after lives, family after family, who were raised up on this work center, good enough, earners mentality toward the, toward the gospel without realizing that there's nothing we can do to make ourselves good enough before God and that is the transition that is the journey that we need to take if we are to be true followers of Christ that we need to move from earner to heir that we need to realize we cannot earn our way to God but that there is a good news that says we can be heirs of God we can be sons and daughters of God and the question then is how what can, we do to, well, what can we do to become heirs of God? See, we are not only worse than what we think, but the flip side, the beautiful side of the gospel is that we're, we're loved, that we're more loved than we ever know. Yes, on one hand, we are worse off than we think because we think we can earn our way to God. But here's a beautiful picture of the gospel that tells us we are more loved than we would ever, ever know. John 15 in the passage that we read. I want to just read off some of the things that Jesus declared over those who are his disciples. What Jesus proclaimed to be true. What Jesus called to be true in your life and my life. We, claim to be the, or we profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. Hear what it says. Some of the things. John 15 verse 12. He says that this is my command that you love one another. Why? Because Jesus has loved us. I have loved you. And then we go down to verse 15. What did Jesus call us? I no longer call you servants because now I call you what? Friends. You are not just servants. You're not my enemies. You are friends. My friends. What else did Jesus do? He said, I made known to you the word of my father. Whatever the father has told Jesus, I'm making known to you what you needed to hear. The truth that will set you free. Verse 16. Jesus said, I chose you, I chose you, I appointed you to go and bear fruit. God said, I chose you, I love you. You know, you see, none of those things happen because we somehow earn our way to that. I love the way John Edwards put this. He said that we have contributed nothing to our salvation as Christians. We contribute nothing except. The sin that makes it necessary. You see, we're a lot worse off than we, we, are, we, 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 we know because there's nothing we can do. But God said, I call you these things. Why and how? Through my son's death on the cross and the resurrection. The gospel says, yes, you are that bad. But also said, what you, even though you're that bad, my son died for you. And I can't think of a better passage, a better picture of that than in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, encapsulate for us, paint for us this picture of God loving us in spite of us. Titus chapter 3 verse 4 says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life I want to just quickly go through three things we see in this this picture of love that God has given to us the first thing we see is is that God's love pursues us even when we're sinners the love of God pursues us. look at verse 4 but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared and then when you fast forward later on, it says, how, how, why did he show us this kindness? Because it was according to his own mercy. See, the motivation in God's love is not because he looked at you and I and said, wow, good job. You did a few good things and now you are worthy of my love. The very word loving kindness implies and mercy implies that we are not good enough. But God loves us in spite of us. And guess who took the first step? Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, he says, Jesus forsake his equality with God to become a man, to live as a man and live in obedience even unto death. That is the, the intensity of love that God is showing you and I. He sent his best and one and only son, not because what, verse 5, that because we've done any good work, we've earned our way. It says in spite of that he died on the cross Where he loved us that deeply the love that pursues the love that is not that is not a, a reaction to what we've done it is in spite of what we have not done and what we've done according to sin Jesus came took the to initiative to die for us. But not just the love of God I want you to see something here in this passage beautiful passage about the abundance of God. Just the abundance of what God has given us. Look at verse 6. That through the Holy Spirit, God poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Look at the word, poured out on us richly. It was not a drip. Jesus uh, did not give us the Holy Spirit by dripping the Holy Spirit to us. Well, I'll give you a little bit. If you act, start behaving, I'll give you a little bit more. See the picture that Jesus has given us here through the Word of God is this that He's dumping fully, richly, completely the Holy Spirit on us. Jesus promised us that through His love, we have been given every spiritual blessing. So not only did He just he loves us, He gave all that He has to us, and here's the last one: He gave us the power. We see and experience the power of God. How do we see that? In verse 7. So as we are being justified by the grace of, of, of God, look at what we become. We become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Heirs of God. Sons and daughters of God. We throw those words around quite frequently, but we many times we underestimate, underappreciate the weightiness of that title identity. Say for a long time I did not understand what it mean. I mean, I obviously understand what does it mean to be a son. I have parents, but it's not until I become a parent myself to really get a deep sense of what it means to be heirs of God and Romans has co-heirs with Christ. The picture I can think of here is that Jesus moved, uh, God move is a picture of Ezekiel chapter 37. There are dry bones everywhere. We're dead. We're dead like the dry bones laying down in the valley of a core. And what happened was through the breath of God, the bones start coming back together. Here's a picture. I want you to think of when you go to a cemetery, what can you do to bring dead people to life? You can yell and scream, you can cry, you can can pray even. Nothing can bring the dry bones back to life. But through the love of God, through the abundance of God, we see the power of God in your life and my life. That we can be transformed from once enemies of God now become sons and daughters of God. We were dead in our sins. But God said, I'm going to make you alive. But not just as a creation. But I will give you the title, the identity that I've given my son. You are of equal to my, you're not Jesus, but you're of equal in my family. You're co-heirs with Jesus. Man, I think of how much I love my sons. Like if anyone pick on my sons in the playground, if anyone say anything badly about my son, it's go time. There are very few things that I would not do to protect my kids. Not because they earned their way to be daddy's boys. No, they did nothing. But there is an inherent love and protection that I have for them. And I will go to a very far extent to protect them, to provide for them. I will sacrifice my own life for them because they're my own. And I said, I think about that. Me, though maybe may be a decent father, yet imperfect in many ways. How much more were our heavenly father who owns cattle on a thousand hills, who created this whole world, who loves us in ways that I cannot love, care and love For his own children, his own heirs. That is what we have become. You see, we were earners. But God said, no, you don't have to be earners because your best earning would not make you connected with me. But there is good news for you there. You can be my heir. You can be my son. You can be my daughters. I want to speak particularly for some of us who may have never experienced that in our own family. For whatever reason, whatever life circumstances you're going through, you may never have a father. You may never have a mother that loves you that intensely and lovely. Here's a picture that God says, I want to be your father. You've never been loved that intensely, thoroughly, and conditionally. I want to be that father for you. You don't have to earn your way. You don't have to show yourself to be worthy of me. I die, I sent my son to die for you to make it, make it worthy so that you can become my heir. So then the question is how? When we are programmed by this world brought up really in our own family to be earners, how can we become heirs of Christ? And here's the word, here's the action that we need to take. We see the journey to move from earners to heirs. The mantra we have is that we're worse than we think, but we're more loved than we ever know that how do we make that transition? How do we move from one extreme to the other? The key word there is this. We need to trust, we need to trust rather than earning our ways and, and coming before him and say, look at my resume in my life, my, I, the little sin that I've committed, all the behavior that I've changed. We come before God and say, God, I have nothing to offer you. And all I do is trust in you, trust in what you have done. And I want to speak particularly to those who are non-believers. Perhaps you've been you've been wandering around in your spiritual journey at church, outside of church. I want to give you a verse that perhaps you have listened to before in John chapter 3, verse 16. John 3, 16. Many people know this verse. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Many times when we look at the word believe, we think of agreeing. Believing is a very shallow word for many of us, especially as Americans, we believe many things. But the word believe here is not this fluffy word, oh yeah, I'll just add on to believing Jesus, I'll kind of agree with Jesus, I'm just agreeing, signing my name to this doctrine, these uh, tenets of faith that we have. Is going beyond that. This word believe in Jesus really has a sense of trusting. Trust as you are putting your whole weight onto something or someone. It doesn't exclude question, It doesn't exclude doubt. But it is the moment that you're willing to just go all in and say, I don't know. I can't, I may not make sense. I may not understand fully everything. I'm going to trust. I'm going to throw myself into this thing or this person. I think of this picture. Whenever I think of trust is, I think of my youngest son, Josiah, standing on the pool on the edge of the pool. While I'm in the pool with my arms open and calling, "Hey, Jojo, come on, jump in, jump in! Daddy's gonna catch you." But he's creeping up closer and closer to the edge, and you can just see in his face there are a million questions in his mind: What if I jump and I miss? What if I jump and I slip? What if Daddy's not strong enough to pick me up and catch me? What if daddy is not coordinated enough to time me enough to put his arm around me? You can see the concern on his face and I can do everything I can to console him, to reason with him, to promise him, to bribe him. But you can see that questions are still going in his head, but what trust means is that he needs to make a decision on the edge of that pool to jump right into the water. Trusting means that he needs to make a decision to just let it all go. Even with all those questions, I'm going to jump, wait in there, into the, into the open pool. Trusting, leaning, believing that is going to catch him. And for every unbelievers that are listening right now and watching, I want to ask you a question. Do you Are you willing to jump? Because our Father, Heavenly Father, wants to catch you. Are you willing to surrender your life because he has a better life for you? And all he asks you to do is this. Don't just believe and agree a set of, of things. Just don't just add Jesus and he's saying, would you jump all in? Trusting what Jesus has done on the cross, pay for you sin. Trusting that what he has done through resurrection, he'll give you life. Every single word that he pronounced to be true about you is true. Would you trust in him and jump all in? Because our father said, when you do that, he will catch you and you become his son and his daughter. I want to say if you want to do that today, we want to come alongside and help you. I want you to go on to the link that we have on the screen, either on a QR code or go to click on the button on on Linktree there's a button that says, I want to follow Jesus. If that's what you want to do today, and you have no hope, you want to find hope in Jesus, you're like, today I want to jump in. I know I have questions. We want to come alongside and help you. If you go to that link and fill up some information, we'll have people following up with you and want to help you to come become followers of Christ, also becoming the sons and daughters of God. And if you're sitting there wondering, eh, I'm not quite sure. I have some answers I have some, I have some questions that need answers and I want someone to help come alongside help me to explore that I encourage you to do the exact same thing go on to the link fill in that information and we want to come alongside and contact you and help you in this spiritual journey so that you no longer need to earn your way to heaven because that is impossible but that you can now become heirs of God but trusting is not just for non-believers for every one of us who is believers follow Jesus Christ. We slide on that journey often, don't we? We made a choice to jump and trust Jesus and go to become heirs of God and we know it. But how often is it that we slide back often to go back to earn God's favor? Well, I'll go to church, God, but if if I go to church today, God help me with my test. God, I'll read the Bible more. If you just help me to be healthy and wealthy. God, why do you make me suffer? I thought you said that you're with me. I mean, I'm faithful serving you at church. I'm sharing the gospel. How come I'm suffering? You see, as believers, it's so easy for us to slide back to be earner. So easy to, to kind of coerce God or, or play this game with God. And say, God, if I do this, God, you do this for me. But let me just share three quick things, how we can trust as followers of Jesus, so we can continue to live and trust as heirs of God instead of earning God's favor. Here's the first thing. That we need to trust that God, Jesus, is enough for us. Jesus alone is enough for us. That you don't need approval to be significant. You don't need people's approval and praise of you so that you feel like I'm somebody. That we need to trust that Jesus is enough that your accomplishment doesn't define you. That whether you get the grades and get the jobs, get the letters behind your name, it does not define who you are. Because you trust that through Jesus you are fully, completely sons and daughters of God. That you trust Jesus enough that money and possessions does not give you status. Does not give you reputation because you have the best reputation and status in the world that you are called sons and daughters of God. When we trust Jesus is enough for us. We no longer need to be tangled up with the things of the world. That we no longer to be tangled by grades. By possessions by our decisions. By our singleness by our marriage. We don't have to be entangled by any of those things because Jesus is enough for us. Which leads us to the second thing: that part of the way we trust Jesus to uh, tr- how we trust Jesus as the heirs of God is this: that we no longer see spiritual discipline. We will start seeing discipline. We'll start seeing spiritual discipline as an act of intimacy with God, not currency for God's favor. Let me run it back again. When we trust God as heirs of God, we no longer see these spiritual practices, discipline as just currency to exchange for God's favor. But instead, we see them as moments and space of intimacy with our own father. Did you realize that there's nothing you can do today, tomorrow, and for eternity that make God love you more? Did you know that there's nothing you can do today, tomorrow, and for eternity that make God love you less either? So when we sin, it's not that God always like, oh no, my gospel didn't work. No, the gospel still works. God is hurting, not because he is hurting. He is hurting because he knows how sin will hurt you. See, no longer do we just do things to earn God's favor. No longer do we just do things to play the psychology game with God so that we can twist God to get us something that we want now. Spiritual discipline, praying, reading God's word, being a church together, serving, uh, evangelizing, all the, going on missions. All those things are moments that we get to experience God as our Father. That we no longer just seek his hand to do things for us. But we really seek to be face to face with God together. That my time in the word is not in exchange so that I can get something from God in my life. That we're no longer just looking for the givers of these things. We're, we're focusing on the givers of all good gifts instead of just the good gifts. See when we trust in God as heirs of God. We're saying, I want to be with God more than asking God for things. Which leads to the last one. Part of trusting God is committing our lives to do good in this world. And I don't mean it in a way of just being charitable like kind of the world, like, oh, volunteerism. Like, we're not talking about that. We're saying we're going to commit to do good. Here, look at Titus chapter 3, verse 8. This is the verse after we looked at the beautiful love, abundance, and power of God. We see this verse. Here's what it says. The saying is trustworthy. After the picture of what we receive from God as heirs of Christ, here's what Paul said to Titus. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God Those who are heirs of God. Those who are sons and daughters of God. To do what? Watch. May be careful. To devote themselves to do good works. These things are excellent. And profitable for people. What Paul's saying is this. If your heart is filled already to the brim. By the love of God. And God promised to give his love fully to us. Then you no longer need to ask people to fill up your heart. No longer need to ask things to fill up your, your heart is so full that now devote, give up your whole life to do good works. So that others may taste and see that God is good. So no longer are you asking people to fill your own hearts. God fill your heart so much. Now you're free. There is a sense of freedom and joy to give of your life, even unto death, because you know when you die, it really begins the good life. That we will be face to face with God and with Jesus forever. So we need to stop trying to get the best of this world for ourselves. When we trust God as his heirs, we start leveraging our best in this world so that others may know God, so that others may taste God, so that others may experience God. Trusting in God as heirs of God, as heirs of God, co heirs with Christ means we're going to live surrendered. We're going to live sent. We're going to live with a distinct purpose to empty ourselves so others might see and live and know God. So that's the first DNA today that we shared. That we, uh, to become a disciple of Christ, means we no longer to be an earner, but that we move to become. We're transformed by God to become heirs of God, sons and daughters of God. And we do that by trusting in God, by trusting that what God has done is real. What God has done is enough. And as such, we start living with the freedom and joy and the satisfaction of being sons and daughters of God. The gospel message tells us we are far worse off than we think we are. But here's the beauty. That we're more loved than we will ever ever know until we see Jesus again. And one I really believe that one of the reasons why Jesus instituted communion is for us to remember that we're no longer earners, that we are indeed heirs of God, co heirs with Christ. Paul wrote this in 1st Corinthians chapter 11 for what I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me You see the body of Christ represented by the bread of the blood of Jesus represented by the, by the by the by the, by, by the juice by by the wine that Jesus referred to Both of these reminds us once again that we cannot earn we, cannot, or we will never be able to earn our way to God, but through the sacrifice of Jesus, dying, paying for our sins through his blood. We can come freely and, and call God our father, our heavenly father. So if you have been baptized, you put your faith and surrendered your life to Jesus, you have put your trust fully in the saving work of Jesus Christ. The atoning sacrifice of once for all, the righteous for them righteous to bring us to God. If you have done that already, I want to ask that you prepare your elements, your bread and, your, and, your, and the cup of juice. I'm going to ha- invite our worship team to sing a song called How Beautiful. And I want to invite you to participate in responding to what Jesus has done for you. I encourage you to meditate open your word to back to Titus 3 5 and 6. As our worship team sing this song let these words. Be melody of your heart as you worship Jesus. That we don't have to be earners anymore. That our yoke have been lifted up we can be heirs and sons of Christ and live fully abundantly. For God. Let's respond to God together.